Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, as always, good to see you. Incredible conversation today with Chelsea Johnson-Muir, teacher, coach, inspirational, motivational. Uh, She's got a podcast, the the Servant Leaders Coaches Bible Study. It's a long, long title. I, I screwed it up. I've been practicing, so I'm glad I nailed it. Jamie, what? First of all, I guess how are you? How are you doing, man? I I just want to jump the gun and get to this stuff because it's so freaking good. But it really is that good, man. I you I'm first. so. How you doing? I'm good, man. But part of what is good is the conversation we just had, right? This conversation yeah. that we had it gives you energy and it motivates you. And we were just talking before we press record about our goal for the podcast was to be able to take these conversations that were life shaping for us. And we had them with the two of us and we had them with some of our other coaches, friends, we had them with some of our peers and, you know, leaders, mentors in our lives. And we wanted to be able to take those conversations and give them to people. This is one of those conversations. This is exactly one of those conversations where we realized after the fact and after we pressed, you know, stop on the recording, us and Chelsea kind of got to jam a little bit and say, man, that's the stuff we need more of, right? Where you say something and I'm writing it down and I say something, you're writing it down. And it's like, these are the things we can use in our practice. Whether Again, it's not just about sports and our, our focus is sports. She's a coach, she's a teacher, but it's about how to impact and lead people in a meaningful way. And that is done through service, right? And that's what we get to, but it's also done with these sorts of conversations. And so I'm so grateful that we got to facilitate it, but also that it comes out for you guys to interact with as well. I I hope you have your pens and paper ready or however you take notes, because I mean, I have two full pages that I wrote from the conversation. I have no doubt that there's going to be stuff in here that grows you. It grew us. Chelsea Johnson mirror. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So uh, people know a little bit about you because the intro, we've already given some of your bio, but I'm curious to know, like, tell us a little bit about kind of who you are, what you're doing, what you're passionate about right now. Yeah. So I am coach Chelsea Johnson Muir. I'm an educator and I'm also a coach down here in Tallahassee, Florida. So I teach the sciences and I say that because I teach three different preps. Uh, Jamie, my other friend, he gets that right. Uh, so all day I'm teaching nine through 12 on so many different subject matters, but I also coach girls basketball here and I have a strong passion for it because this is my alma mater at Gabby high school. I was a player and a student. So now being the coach and teacher on the whole other side of this thing, it gives me a different, like when I say I bleed blue and white, I mean it. And that's what I tell my kids. So, cause you know, the youth, the first thing they say is how do you know? And, Oh, I know let's break out the yearbooks. This is, how we <laughs> you know, so that's what I do, man. And I, I just truly try to encourage, um, you know, podcast hosts and try to push servant leadership, but I know we'll get into that a little bit later. So you that's bet. me, man. Absolutely. And, and that's being such a, a cool, such a, sorry, Go Jamie, ahead. I, I think I didn't even realize this and I didn't think about this. It's such a cool thing that we all share in common. We've all been athletes and coached at the high school that we attended. It's pretty cool. 
It was mint, guys. It was mint. <laughs> you bet. I was I was going there, John. So you, oh, you beat me to it. I, sorry. I I had the opportunity, the good fortune to to coach with my high school coach. Um, I was on his staff and my high school football coach, and just I think about the the tremendous impact that he had on me as a man, and the things that he allowed for. You know, it, his door was always open. Right. I could walk yeah. over there. I mean, we lived not terribly far apart. I'm from a small town, so I could walk over there and say, Hey, this thing is going on. And he, you know, he had ears to listen and a heart to serve. And, and I think about when we talk about coaches and a ton of coaches are the people that we serve. Right. And, right. and ultimately what I'm saying through you is thank you because that thing where we get to do in the place where we grew up, you know, and John, like he spoke to, got to, got to serve his alma mater as well as a high school football coach and baseball coach. And, and to do some of these things, it's like, man, what a gift we get to return to the place where they gave us so much. You put that. So, Oh, you worded that so well. Every day it's a gift. Um, I'm reminded of Brittany Zell at East Tennessee state. She always says, she says, no, you get to, you don't have to, you get to. And when you start to think about that in that way, that's Exactly. It. And it is a gift every day. It is. Speaking of which you, you were faced with a challenge that is beyond comprehension for many of us. You were playing in a basketball game, um, yeah. as a junior in college, I believe, right? That's you're correct. A, Look at you, you doing your homework. <laughs> you were a junior <laughs> in college and you had this incident that changed your whole experience and your whole worldview right i i can only imagine because it kicked off a five-year process of uncertainty and fear and doubt and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that but can you tell us about that experience that you had as an athlete that just changed your whole world absolutely so you both know as being athletes and coaches we train all the time right we stay fit we make sure that we are healthy and so the last thing i thought was that i was going to endure some type of health challenge planning a game and you know those multi-game weeks you're fatigued so that's not uncommon it's just like okay I felt a little tired but that was it and you know at a basketball game the game was packed so the gym was hot I was tired and the last thing I remember is coming out of a timeout and the ball being inbounded to me that's the last thing I remember the next thing you know moved to being in the hospital um, the doctor at the time because I didn't find anything was saying oh you have migraines and dehydration okay that makes sense, right? Gave me a, you know, IV sent me back to, you know, my city where we were at Livingstone College. Over those guys, the headaches did not stop. They were horrible. And being a young athlete, as I continue to say, there was a neurosurgeon that was like, this just does not seem right. Put me in the hospital, did some digging. After about a week, finally, they found I had a brain aneurysm. And it was crazy because normally, and y'all know this to be true, one in 50 have a brain aneurysm that ruptures. You're talking to a person who had played in a game, continued to go to school, continued to play in other games, was in pain, but had a brain aneurysm in her head. And so at that point, that five-year span that you talk about, because of the placement of it, the surgeon is like, you know, I got to be honest with you, Chelsea, if we go in there and get that, you know, there's so many negative side effects that could come from this. And the ultimate, you may not come off the table. So that was a very hard moment for me going from one day, this athlete, this kid, even in your college, you're still a kid. This is 
to now really growing up overnight, trying to make a decision that is really life and death. And so over that five-year process, there was some testing that we did. There were different things that they walked me through that, as you said, changed my whole perspective. It truly does allow you to, you know, get in a process of just being grateful for every day because you really didn't know. And long story short, you know, God is really good and has been good to me. And, you know, I know everyone has their own belief systems, but for me in that time where we actually were preparing for surgery, we took a look at all of my post-ops, pre-ops, all those things. By that time, I was feeling like a lab rat, to be honest with you guys. I had marks from just being stuck and poked and pried, head shaved sometimes. It was just, you know what I mean? And, but as we prepared for surgery, the doctor could not find, it had actually shrunk so much that it was not found on any test. And so at that point, I told the doctor, you know, they were like, we really would like to continue to research you. And I'm like, that's fine. But based off of how I grew up, I always learned by the scripture that by his stripes, I was already healed the moment I believed. Yeah. And I believed even in that hard struggle that he was able to do those things for me. And even still now from 2013, when we heard the onset that I was okay, we're now walking in 2020, guys, and I'm still healthy every year. You know, I'm still going to be have some wisdom, right? And so every yeah. year go back for my, um, you know, post up and get an MRI and I'm still good and still guys. And so I'm just thankful. And that is really why that gift that you spoke about in the intro of this conversation is why I'm happy to do it every day and say that I get to, I don't have to, I get to. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the, I mean, physically, obviously there was a lot of challenges. Oh, goodness. But, but mentally as a 20, 21 year old, 21, 22 year old, mentally kind of what is going through your mind as you're trying to make sense of this and, and work through that process. Um, again, being an athlete and being yeah. physically active, competitive, and now all of a sudden you described feeling like a lab rat, but like mentally, what were you kind of dealing with and, and, what was the process like for you to come out the other side of that? Great question. You know, definitely it changed my perspective because all I wanted to do is my normal way of life, you know, and it went from not being able to go to class as much as I could because some days I couldn't even get out of the bed, you know, and the last thing as an independent person that you want to do is to feel like you're a burden to someone. So I went from being independent to now having people help me because I was still at college. So having people bring my classwork to me having the professor say, don't come today, we'll help you. And whereas I appreciated that, I felt like life was going on without me. I had minutes reduced to then not play because the coach is like, I care about you. And you know, now on this side, I get it and I appreciate it. But it's like, as an athlete in the game, you're like, I want to play. It doesn't matter. Like, am I really living if I'm not playing a game that I love? And so mentally it becomes hard because every day you're waking up like, is this the day? No, am I okay? I'll never forget. I remember moving and the dresser came back and hit my head, right? And so normally you just rub it off. I know I'm a bruise because I'm a fair skinny young lady. It will be the end of it. But now I'm like, oh my God, are we okay? Now we're going to the doctor. And so I really didn't want to live in fear. But if we're being honest, guys, it was. Every day you're waking up in fear because you don't know, is this the moment that this time bomb in my head is going to go off? Am I making the right decision? So you know, it just, it was hard, especially for a person like me who is mentally tough. It did shake my faith a bit. I'm just going to be honest with that. Um, you know, it changed my way of work because I actually was going to go to dental school. Um, that was my plan. 
But, you know, that plan changed and I was back home. I moved back home and, you know, was just kind of taking it easy, trying to get better, get back on my feet, mental and spiritually and physically. And so you do, you begin to feel like, okay, God, what is this, right? Why is this, why am I moving in a different way? But guys, one of the things I will say is even though mentally it did day by day kind of take some things from me, the beauty of it was that what it took from me was replaced with so much more. And that was the crazy part. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. And now when things happen, like you both said at the beginning, I have a totally different outlook from it. Um, you know, I've been blessed to have people in my path that endured other health challenges. I've even met someone who had a ruptured brain aneurysm in my walk now. And so to, there's one thing to say, oh, you know, I understand. And I hope you get better. It's another thing to say, I walk that path. And let me tell you, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm with you. And so although it was mentally challenging, it became one of those beauty for ashes moments that I'm thankful for today. No question. And I think about this with athletes that may have endured a hardship and clearly not the same type of hardship, but you know, I messed up my knee playing ball, messed up my shoulder, my ankles. You you go through these periods of rehab, right? And, and you lose confidence. That's what happens is you lose confidence that your body can't do the thing that it used to be able to do. And you start to feel like there's this and not in the same way, but I imagine this, this, this aura of invincibility that you have as a 20, yes. 21, 22 year old is, yeah. <laughs> is destroyed, right? Yeah. It's destroyed. Cause now all oh, a dresser bumps me in the head. I need to go to the doctor to find out if something Correct. is wrong. So how do you, and one of the things that we work with athletes and coaches on is building practices, right? Mm-hmm. Building a practice to take back some control of the things Got that it. you've let get out of control. So how do you build a practice that builds confidence anew that, that builds some sort of faith again, you know, in your capacity to live a normal life? What does that look like? And how do you build back from something like that? I think that's a great question. You know, there was, um, I pledged when I was in college, right? And we didn't do this per se, but you hear about it from different sororities and fraternities. They have like a faith walk or a faith trust walk or fall, right? And, you know, I would kind of say it was like that. It really was like you do a kid that's learning any game or any sport that you're playing, you start small, the fundamentals. So it would even be things like, okay, well, maybe you didn't go to class two times this week. Let's go three. And this time, let's stay a little bit longer. And so for me, you know, you know how that athletic mind is. No, I'm used to doing more, but I had to be grateful for the small steps because what happens when a kid doesn't learn the fundamentals and you try to throw them out there, right? They're not ready. And so every day, what I would tell myself is let's relearn these things, but let's take a step ahead. And so even down to small things like, okay, now let me see if I can read a little bit longer today without it bothering. And then I would do little things like, okay, I'm going to drive by myself today, guys, but I'm just going to go to the corner store and I'm going to need you guys not to worry about me. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to text you when I get there and then I'll let you know when I'm coming back but baby steps and that's hard for an athlete you know that because it's it's just like that but much like a kid that's walking or riding their bike or those athletes that we train it's those small wins that before long they become involuntary you know I remember my kid they did a move I had been teaching them for two years in the game and didn't even recognize until film I'm hyped And they don't know why. And it's like, we were working on that. But by that time, it became so involuntary because of the small practices. So all of those little things that I used to do 
that became mundane, I really had to be intentional about, okay, Chelsea today, let's try this. And it is a big deal. It's not a small feat. This is a big win. And those small wins that I would take every day, they became involuntary again. I began driving. I remember my mom would say, you didn't let me know you made it, but it it became back in my groove, you know? And, and, And then I remember, you know, graduating, moving back here, wasn't working at the time. And then I started small with part time and, you know, then made my way back to full time. And in that, the blessing was I actually found education. Yeah. I said I wanted to do dentistry, but in those small wins, I realized that my path was education that took me from part time to now full time. So that definitely builds that confidence going step by step and not trying to take the whole journey, just going bit by bit. And I know that John's going to jump in here, but I just had, we were, I, I, I can, we have this thing, right? We've been doing this a while now. So I can see, I just, I just wanted to, to bridge here. One of the things that acknowledging you need small wins is acknowledging it's going to take time, right? It's, it's acknowledging that there's a length about this. That yeah. is very, very important. You can't, you aren't going to do all of these things tomorrow. It's not this microwave culture, right? It's done today. That's right. It has to be, it's going to take some time. And so, John, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I just wanted to, to, to mention that for our listeners to say that small wins is an acknowledgement. It's vital. It's powerful. It's strong. I love it, but it's also I an like acknowledgement it. that this is going to take some time to get all the way there. And like you said, with your athletes, so we've been working on this two years, guys, like, and it just showed up automatic. Awesome. We're excited. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's good, Jamie. <laughs> no, I, I think that's an incredible point, Jamie. And I think where I was actually going with it was the resetting of realistic expectations Mm, so yes it's it is the time thing but it's also okay this is what i used to be able to do i can't do that anymore i can't hold myself to that standard and and that's that's true of everything in our life yep if we expect to always be able to do the the best version of ourselves and that's the standard we hold ourselves to so often we're not going to be able to get there but if we reestablish those expectations and then couple that with, you know, I just wrote this down and I think it's incredible. Be grateful for the small steps, the small wins. Like if we can couple that together with, it's going to take time, realistic expectations, you know, we can continue to move forward, which is what we are all about. And I think what you're all about. So Chelsea, tell us a little bit about, I think one of the things that draws us to you is your, um, your passion for servant leadership. You know, you have a podcast, you coach. Um, Tell us, how do you define servant leadership and kind of what are you doing in that area right now? Yeah, so servant leadership, oh my goodness. I tell, it's funny because I tell each guest that we have on, I'm on a mission to create the longest but most credible definition of leadership. But guys, servant leadership started for me as the kid watching my grandfather and grandmother who had their own garden, right? It was theirs, but they would give so much to the community that people pretty much thought they had a community garden. It's like, (laughs) not, it's just, we have such an open heart. And I remember that. I remember my grandmother making cakes and say, ride with your granddaddy and take this to such and such because they just had a loss in their family. You know, I remember my mom waking up on Saturday mornings and calling a list of people saying, hey, I'm checking in. And so for me, it was like, why are they doing that as a kid? I just, you know, as a kid, you know, why are we going here? I'm, uh, but what I learned was that like service is, as the quote says, the rent we pay to be here on earth. Yeah. And for me, servant leadership is that here I am, send me mindset. 
It's understanding that you lead better when you serve others. It's that understanding that, you know, whatever I have of myself, I don't care if it's inconvenient. I don't care if it's going to make me lose something, not to the place of where I'm going to fall off. But if I know that what I'm doing is going to better the greater good, that's what I'm going to do. And so servant leadership for me was just my faith in action, honestly, because it is what was emulated to me in my rearing. And so through my coaching, through my endeavors, through, you know, my church, and even the servant leader coaches Bible study services, it, it honestly is for me, the prescription that I needed to get back on my feet. So one of the things that we think about, or I think about personally, and I'm not going to speak for John, but I know that we've had this conversation. <laughs> so I, so I can in some way is that service is transparent. It's vulnerable. Yeah. It's hard. It's, yeah. it's maybe getting your hands dirty and not just your hands, but your heart and your, your yeah. mind and your like, it's going to push you in ways that are uncomfortable. How do you teach? And I'm thinking about young people right now because mm-hmm. I, I lead a leadership council. Um, and we, I'm thinking about how do I, how do we create servant leaders? How do we tell them that the most power we can have is when we humble ourselves, when we bring ourselves right. to a place where there's going to be discomfort, there's going to be transparency and vulnerability. How do you get there with the kids the people that you lead and maybe that's some advice you've gotten on the podcast or whatever it might be. But yeah. yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is understanding your why. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. What's your why? And nine times out of 10, the very first time I ask them, they're not going to have an answer. They don't. And then I ask them, I say, okay, is your why your cell phone? I start to list all the things I see on them. Is your why your AirPods? Is your why the Jordans, you know, and I, and the list could go on because you and I both know the trend of the young person right now. It doesn't matter where we are, Florida, Montana, Minnesota, it's the same, right? And once we meet them where they are and get them on the same line of vision with me, I start to do what my grandmother did to me. When I would ask, why, why are we doing this? She would say, okay, do you see this that you have? Do you see this that you have? Well, you know, they don't have that. How would you feel if you didn't have that? Do you know this person doesn't have a mother? How would you feel if you didn't have a mother? And when that same moment that you said, you said your hands and your heart get dirty. In those moments, could you imagine that that dirty heart, if we, if I want to kind of merge it there, but that pain in that heart that you feel when you have a missing part there. And what world could we live in if others could provide very thing to cleanse the heart? And so once I tap into it, because, I have to meet people where they are. And when I meet the young people where they are, and the biggest part is always when we serve during Christmas, always. Because it gives them a visual picture of the kid that didn't get a, a, a gift under the tree, right? And they left their house that had 10 and 12. And then I said, this two hours that we sat here and gave out gifts, how do you feel? How do you feel? And in that moment, it's like, you almost see that light bulb, that car- cartoon light bulb that pops off. But the biggest portion is what I got from the Servant Leader podcast and what I tell to my babies all the time. Are you living for your resume or are you living for your eulogy? And that came from Brittany Ezell again. You heard me speak about her a lot because she was my mentor. You know, if you're trying to resume build, that's what's here on earth. And I get it. We all have different belief systems. But she says, when I stand before, when someone stands before me, whoever, because I'm going to be gone. It doesn't matter, (laughs) you know, but whoever stands before me. What did I do that's going to live and carry on? What is my legacy? And did my 
legacy. I don't want my legacy to be impressed upon them. I want it to be in them because if it's in them, it can carry forward. And so I think we just have to start with what you said, being able to open their eyes to what it is and the importance of it. B, allow them to be able to empathize with it. Put yourself in their shoes and then C, be able to help them to understand the bigger picture. And once we can do that, it changes the scope. It changes the scope. So do you ever get any pushback on, you, you know, we, we, we get that you're trying to build a whole human, right? You're trying to uh-huh. pour into your <laughs> players and give them the gifts that you were given, similar to how we operate in, in our business, in our coaching, in, and hopefully in our lives. Like that's how I hopefully want to live my life. <laughs> right. But there are people, and you said, you know, a lot of what you have and what you do comes from what you were given at a young mm-hmm. age and what yeah. you saw and what was modeled for you. What kind of pushback and how do you deal with that when, when people, whether it be the athletes uh, or parents or community members, administration, whoever, pushes back and says, look, Chelsea, this is great, but we need you to win basketball games or we need you uh-huh. to teach my daughter how to you know, do a spin move, whatever. So how do you deal with that and, and kind of what's your approach to that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the pushback is going to be there across the board. You know, you named them all and the pushback is going to be there. And I think the biggest thing, and I was talking about this um, a couple of days ago um, with another coach, is building a culture takes time. It takes time and you have to get the buy-in. But the biggest way to get the buy-in is by letting them see you in the trenches, right? My mom used to always say, y'all kids are from Missouri. Y'all need to be shown, the show me state, right? She will always say that. We're like, oh, what does that mean? It means you have to be shown. And so, you know, the kickback is always that ninth and 10th grade year, right? Yeah. And so the same thing that happens at college. That's why there's a transfer portal. You know this to be true. Um, but what they start to begin to see is two years ago, I was getting my master's degree, right? And so I would actually sit a kid before my administration would sit a kid. I don't care if you're my best player. I don't care if you're last on the rotation. I will sit you and I will take that loss because I know you're better than that. And so I've had a parent before. I've even had some of my coaches like, Chelsea, we need them. And I'm like, Mm-mm, we're not doing that. And I'm holding the line. Yes, parents were upset. But what I needed them to understand is every time they turned in their great report, I would go on the computer and print out my great report. I wanted them to see that everything that I'm taking their child through, I was doing the same thing, you know, and granted at time winning basketball games are important or insert your sport. But what happens when we lose the athlete? What happens when we lose the athlete? And so I'll never forget. It was a pivotal point that I teach at a title one institution where unfortunately we do have areas of losing kids more than we want. And I forget that same year that I sat that kid was the same year that I lost the kid. And as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm looking at the seat where he would sit. And I'll never forget it because he had made the conscious decision to want to change his life. Okay. He was one of the ones that pushed back, pushed back, pushed, pushed back. And as he started to take that 180, his life was taken. And the same conversation that I had to that parent and I have to my parents and my administration and every extension of our program each year is that I will never, ever, ever lose the child trying to win a game. And what I want you guys to understand is sometimes it's better to hone on in it now. And it takes a village to raise the child. I could talk about that for a whole hour and I'm not going to do that to y'all. But I feel that the village aspect has moved. And so when I have that conversation, that guy 
takes a village. If you don't buy in, that child's not going to buy in when you go home and basically disagree with me. When they come to practice, they're not going to disagree. And so I've created a space where our administration, the teachers, our coaches, the parents and the players, even though there's some pushback, understand the bigger picture in me. And that is when you send your child to me, we have a hundred percent graduation rate. And some people around this world that listen to this podcast would say, okay, like it's high school. No, you don't understand when the school is at about 75%. The girls basketball program is at a hundred percent. And so that is what I mean when I say there's going to be some pushback, but I promise me if you, if you just hang on in there with me, we'll win games, but I promise you they'll win in life. And what happens, I've even had my first set of college kids yeah. that have, have their college degrees. That's why I got my master's. I said, y'all not going to outdo me. I got to move. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there'll be pushback. But I think getting my hands dirty and my heart dirty, like Jamie said. I just, I think about this as, you know, this is our, our mission as coaches. This is why we do the podcast. This is what we love to talk about is how do we then build other programs that can respond in the same ways? And somebody out there might be listening and say, yeah, Chelsea, but I'm not charismatic. I don't have a podcast. I'm not going to, you know, go and get my master's to prove that I can do it when other, you know, like, cause that's <laughs> right. we're competitive, right? Like we right, are competitors, right. right? We're all college athletes. The reason we did that is because we wanted to keep competing. Not because we ever thought we were going to be professionals, right? We like Correct. small town or small college athletics is about competing still. That's right. And how do you then, you know, cause we work with these coaches that are like, well, I'm not you, you know, yeah. I, I don't do it the same way that you do it what would your advice to them be to say, okay, what's the start small? What's the win small moment for somebody in that situation? You know, I don't know. Walk us through that. Yeah. A little bit. Well, first I would say what coach can you think back? You know, you and I talked about the coach that you had, you know, yeah. 20 minutes ago. Right. And you're talking about this was years ago for and sure. you talked about this person, like he was right in front of you and you, I could hear your heart. First, ask that coach, who's that one coach or teacher or mentor that was in your life that helped to move you, to help to shape, shape you? And there's always somebody, you know, I, I know some people said, no, there wasn't anyone. There's always someone. I don't care what capacity. And in that moment, I would then ask them, what's the one coach, the teacher, the same alignment that didn't give you what you need? And when they tell me, I would ask what it was. Nine times out of 10, the people who can't buy in was because they experienced that hurt. I always called it a point of origin. I tell people all the time and it changed it. It changed my perspective when I got it. We see that person and it's like, they don't buy in, as you said, or it seems like every day is a negative day. You know, the whole group could be on board and they're like, nope, it's not going to work. There's a point of origin. And so for me, I would try to, you know, find that point of origin. And once you do that, you realize it's not that they don't buy in. It's just that those walls were built that they refused to bring back down to try to even open their minds for a separate opportunity. But I would start with the same thing you said to me when we talked about my aneurysm. You got to take these small wins. So let's do some goal setting and let's take these small wins. You can't go and have these kids buy in and say, yes, we're going to do this, do this, do this. And they're just going to jump on board. How about we just start with a team goal and let them that's what I do every year. I don't set the goals and say, hey, meet these goals. This is what we're doing. We sit down. We start with our own separate papers. Then we vote and come up with our 10 steps that each one of us are going to get down to. So the point is, they're going to buy in because they wrote it. They're going to buy in because they created it. They had a hand in the vision. So I would say start small. 
baby steps, just like we said, because it takes time and being patient. Two, find a point of origin. What hurt you? What caused you and that coach to feel the way that you did? Because it's somebody and be different. And third, if the vision is shared by every entity, every counterpart, they'll buy in. But you have to make sure that you allow them to feel that they had a part in that. The biggest way that we turn down is if you ask a kid, what's this team's vision? A, can they tell you? But we, B, when they tell you, ask them, ask them, what part of that did you have a hand in? And if I can't tell you, that's your point of origin right there. Chelsea, incredible stuff. Um, I, I feel like we could talk to you for hours and I, I <laughs> hopefully we get a chance to do it again someday. But yeah, in man. the meantime, where can people check out your stuff, whether it be social media, your podcast, give us a plug for where people can go and check out and hear your message. And oh man, thank you guys. So it gets all social media. I'm at Twitter the most at the Chelsea F. Uh, you can see all of the platforms, the schedules, the promos, the plugs. I'm on all podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. It is the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. We have endless pro athletes and coaches, NCAA coaches, all collegiate coaches that come on and just talk about their faith in their arenas. Uh, and then you can find me on Instagram at, at Chief Franjohn, the C-H-E-F-R-A-N-J-O-H-N. I love it. Chelsea, I'm so grateful you took some time out. I Like John said, not nearly enough because we could keep <laughs> giving this great stuff away. And that's our mission. And I, and I think it's yours also. That's the, that's the heart Absolutely. of servant leadership is give it away, give it away for free. Maybe your heart comes back broken, but it's going to be better because of it. And uh, thank you for your message and for joining us. We are so glad to have you. I thank you guys for the opportunity and for what you all do is why we're here. So I appreciate your servanthood. Thank you again to Chelsea for joining us in incredible insight, incredible challenges in there. Don't forget to check out her podcast. Um, you can find it in the show notes and also anywhere you listen to podcasts, check her out. She's incredible stuff. Jamie, I, just looking at my notes, I mean, I have be grateful for the small steps, you know, keep your heart open. You made the comment, you know, your hands and your heart sometimes have to get dirty. And then she talked about, the three steps for coaches start small, you know, um, what's find their origin, right? find the or point of origin, point of origin, and then get buy-in by helping others create the goals and the mission and the value. There's so much in there, wrap it up for us, tie it together with maybe one thought. I mean, if you weren't taking notes, she said it. Now I just went through my bullet points and Jamie, you're going to give us kind of one thing to tie it all together or wrap it up but I think all of it comes back to small steps, right? It's how do you build, how do you rebuild confidence when you've been struggling? How do you build towards any successful performance outcomes of any kind? It's small steps and be committed over time. And it's, it's really that simple pile up small wins because the big wins don't come without the little ones. It has to go from being uncomfortable and frustrating to automatic. And the only way we get there is small step after small step after small step over a long period of time. And that might be frustrating for some of us, but it's the way that we get to excellence. Build up small wins. And as always, live eyes up.